Chi Economy founder and author Benja Stig Fagerland uh, says gender equality is not a woman's issue but a business one. She calls for fixing the issue, not the women. A Frost analyst Renita Das cited a Forbes article claiming that women who run tech companies provide a 35% higher ROI than their male counterparts and 12% increase in revenue compared again to their male counterparts. Uh, but who's counting? On the consumption side, we need you as senior equity analyst for Indus West Wealth Management management in Hong Kong noted that the annual consumption expenditure of Chinese women alone is as high as 10 trillion yuan, which is close to the combined European retail markets of Germany, the United Kingdom, and France. But again, who's counting? In this podcast for Future CIO, we revisit the Xi economy opportunities in Asia. And joining us for this is Ms. Elisa Malice, Managing Director and Vice President for Asia Pacific for the Center for Creative Leadership. Elisa, welcome to Podcasts for Future CIO. Thank you, Alan. A pleasure to be here today. Before we begin our chat on the Xi economy itself, tell us a bit about the Center for Creative Leadership broadly, and then how is it supporting current and next generation leaders with a bit of emphasis on the women? Certainly. Yeah. So, you know, we have just passed our 50th anniversary as an organization globally, and we're coming up to 20 years in Asia Pacific next year. And Center for Creative Leadership in our inception has been focused on really understanding what makes leaders effective, what makes good leadership for five decades. We're very evidence-based, so we have a lot of research. We have a number of studies and a couple more that will be coming out soon. Today, I may reference a couple and what I'm going to be sharing. And in uh, CCL, we also have a long history of looking at female leadership with uh, the publication, the book, Breaking the Glass Ceiling, you know, a, a couple decades ago, and a significant amount of research, including Asian research, to understand women uh, in terms of their strengths, in terms of also perceptions by men and women when it comes to women leadership. So you could call it one of our uh, areas of expertise. You know, leadership development is all we do. And looking at gender when it comes to diversity is is one of our areas of uh, focus. Do you agree in the real potential of a she economy or is it just another marketing tactic that some organizations are trying to exploit? Well, women certainly hold up half the sky, and they actually hold up more than half of the economy as consumers and family members who are usually the lead when it comes to managing the household budget and the spending, right? So we know that businesses that cater to and take female consumer top of mind will continue to have an advantage. There's no doubt about that. Uh, In terms of the economy, there is still significant economic opportunity to leverage the full talent on the planet rather than half. And I mean, this isn't something new, Alan. So uh, I'm originally Greek and from over 2000 years ago, there's a quote I love from Plato that nothing can be more absurd than the practice that prevails in our country of men and women not following the same pursuits with all their strengths and with one mind. For thus, the state, instead of being whole, is reduced to half. And it's a journey of those 2,000 years. We are still struggling and going very slowly when it comes to leveraging that full economic opportunity and prosperity from all. And, you know, you referenced at the start, you know, um, McKinsey analysis tells us that advancing gender equality in Asia Pacific could add $4.5 trillion a year to the collective GDP. Of course, the number of female leaders 
and executive roles is increasing slowly but surely. Pay gaps are decreasing too slowly, but that is the trend. And so women's purchasing power is only going to continue to increase. Um, at Center for Creative Leadership, we recently published one of the recent Asian leadership pieces is on cultivating corporate purpose. It's called Beyond Doing Good. And the reason we called it that is corporate purpose is no longer about a CSR program on the side or about some window dressing or feel-good statements. The organizations that are really leveraging the power of diversity, the ways they can benefit multiple stakeholders in the community are also performing better. They're doing well. It's not just about doing good. They're doing better as businesses. And leaders really need to be purpose-driven. They need to align diversity initiatives with core business strategy. And there certainly are many real benefits to bringing about and leveraging gender parity as a competitive advantage for each individual organization, but also for society and for the regional and global economy overall. Now, if I may ask you, you, know, you spoke about the benefits of uh, having gender equality and women being more empowered, both not just as consumers, but also as drivers of business. In terms of drivers, what are the forces driving this acceleration towards this uh, so-called she economy? There are a few which I'll mention that I think are driving this economy and also women's growing economic empowerment. And there are some positive forces there, right? So first, we continue to see more women in executive roles, more women taking CEO roles, still a small proportion compared to the men increase there. Board roles, there's been a lot of good progress in women taking board roles. Not at the pace we would like to see, but certainly we see that women are ambitious and want to climb the corporate ladder. I think this is one of the major forces driving the she economy, even while gender norms in the past have created certain assumptions or stereotypes like women always prioritize family, women are too emotional, more career-driven women are breaking these stereotypes. In fact, an organization that we worked with that published a really great report in Asia this year, Gender Parity in Asia, and the study is by Nine by Nine, that's the group. They found that women's appetite for career growth is bigger than what we think. 79% of women in that study in Asia highlighted that growth was their top career priority. So that's the first factor. I think second, the rise of hybrid work post-pandemic has brought more opportunity for flexibility. So women, of course, have a number of obstacles in advancing career growth. Often it's the balance with family and home. And so as organizations become more open to flexibility to retain top talent, we're seeing some better, more inclusive policies being introduced to allow some of these obstacles to be overcome. With more open environments, women can take on more stretch assignments, grow their career, putting them in a better position to seize some new opportunities and leadership roles. However, I think we also need to be very careful here, Alan, because Harvard Business Review just this year told us there were 11 trends that are going to shape work in 2022. We're already halfway through that year. And they were predicting that gender equity outcomes are going to worsen in a hybrid world without intervention. And the reason for that is that there's evidence showing that women are not as heard in the hybrid, in the virtual environment. So, you know, we also do need to recognize that progress is slow installed by the pandemic when it comes to women because they were disproportionately impacted globally. We had 
really uh, some significant setbacks in the workplace leading to more women dropping out. And because of the additional caregiving requirements, usually the results of this uh, extra caregiving fell to women. Globally, we've seen this. So, you know, it is also time to double down on addressing in practical ways some policies for women and men that can help us overcome this. I think the um, work we need to do is still as urgent or important. Um, however, a hybrid uh, environment does bring some opportunity for us to leverage when it comes to flexibility. It's going to be up to organizations and government policy on how we do that. And we don't let the hybrid environment potentially set female leaders back as well. Now, in terms of long and medium-term impacts on the growth of the Xi economy, what are we anticipating, bearing in mind that Harvard report, in your view, in our part of the world, in in Asia, what do you anticipate will be the short to medium-term impacts of growth of the Xi economy in Asia? Yeah, so, you know, amid growing concerns about economic slowdown, about rising inflation, um, growing consumption by female leaders will be a much needed boost to the economy in the short term in Asia. As I mentioned earlier, 4.5 trillion a year could be added to the collective GDP. So looking ahead, the real impact of the Xi economy is in how it'll shape better and more balanced business decisions for big companies and for countries. Having leaders from diverse backgrounds at the table is going to help eliminate some groupthink that leads to better decisions. Women and men coming together really make better, more balanced decisions, whether that is for a country, for an organization, we see it time and time again. They just bring in different strengths and perspectives. Equally, if we end up having decisions made where we don't have male representation, that will become a problem as well. I want to also talk about women entrepreneurship here, because I think we also have that as a factor that will have long-term positive impact for women's health and well-being in Asia. And Asia has some unique aspects that uh, I think make the uh, short and uh, medium-term impact of the economy very promising. Femtech's current market size is estimated to be around 500 million to 1 billion in Asia. Uh, Companies that are addressing uh, what has been considered to be stigmatized topic heads-on, such as menstrual health, uh, ThinkX is one organization that's looking at that, sexual health, Rosie Wellness is looking at that, pelvic health, LV is looking at that, and menopause, Electra Health, uh, are really uh, thriving, and I think there are huge opportunities in those areas. For example, Bangladesh based health uh, health mobile app Maya is making it easier for women to access healthcare services at the tip of their fingers, providing credible information on sensitive issues like reproductive and mental health. And in general, in Asia, we see when it comes to ESG, a bigger appetite around health and well-being by the consumer. It drives a lot of their ESG decisions. And therefore, I think this is one aspect, health and specifically women's health, Mm -hmm. where we have huge short to medium term opportunity for the growth of this economy. Government, you spoke a lot about the business side, the commercial aspects of women's involvement, both at uh, on the leadership side of businesses as well as you know as consumers of uh, products and services. What about government? What should we expect from governments to contribute to this Xi economy? Absolutely, there needs to be serious action on the government front and the organizational front. Um, Governments closing the gender gap in developing nations will have the greatest impact in terms of improving standard of living for future generations. And studies have found that women's social and economic status is one of the best indicators of whether her children will complete education and enjoy a healthy, poverty-free adulthood. So 
bringing these countries out is very much going to be driven by that. We found that women face two types of challenges or limiting factors to advancing their careers, also globally and here in Asia from our research, what we call push and pull factors. And pull factors are the intrinsic factors where women hold themselves back. The inner voice that says, I can't do it. I'm not going to make it. I'll be penalized. That's not socially acceptable. My mother-in-law won't like it. All of these things, right? The push factors are externally driven systemic factors, the limitations placed on women by others in their network, in the organization, in society, and in culture. And the push factors are what make it difficult to be promoted. They create an uneven playing field. And why, as you said at the start, Alan, it's not going to be just about fixing the women or what they are, what's holding them back internally. It's about fixing the system as well. Um, and so the majority of the energy, what we found in our programs, our women leadership programs across Asia over these last two, three years, is still going to address the pull factors, which seem easier to tackle with enough substantial action to really shift the push factors. And as a result, both the external and internal challenges women miss out valuable opportunities to strengthen their leadership muscle and accelerate their careers. And over time, it's sort of a vicious cycle where they get held back. So especially in virtual and hybrid work environments, there's a pattern, as I mentioned before, of decreased exposure, decreased visibility, decreased influence emerging for female leaders. And organizations that are serious about fully leveraging the capabilities of both need to double down and pay extra attention. I think for government, we're talking about needing to really take some stronger stance on policy around flexibility, around uh, maternity and paternity, around paternal leave. We see some good policies in place, even when they get put in place. Singapore is a good example. The take-up can be very low. So really, there need to be things at multiple levels. But one last piece that I think is extremely important that we've also found from our research at Center for Creative Leadership is around not just career mentorship, but around sponsorship for women, which is more than mentorship. Mentors provide guidance and support, but sponsors are advocates who are going to actively work to advance the career of the female leader. They can do that behind the scenes, advocating for them in off-the-record meetings, for example. And as the data shows, in most organizations, the upper-level leaders who can advocate are still typically male. So while having the right sponsors is important for men, it's critical for women. And I think this is another area where even government can be putting policies in place to create programs that eliminate some of the systemic barriers and create these kind of enablers for women uh, throughout the region. Each country can be putting more policies in place to enable this. What would be your call to action for women leaders or those aspiring to lead as opposed to just following the herd? Well, you know, I think while we have a lot of very promising potential for this economy, we also need to remember that according to the World Economic Forum's latest gender parity forecast, it could take another 165 years to attain gender parity in Asia if we don't make some adjustments. So I think my advice for female leaders is look at the push factors as well. Recognize where there may be in the system some things that are holding back and enlist support of sponsors, of men and women of influence who can help you remove some of the barriers. Don't expect that it's all going to be just about changing your own self-awareness, driving. That is important. I think we need to do both. So I think women need to ask for help more wherever they need it. 
and also push the boundaries more to really ensure that it doesn't take us another 165 years to attend gender parity in Asia, because that's not just about us as individual leaders in society, as individual citizens of society. This is uh, about something that is much bigger than that. It's about creating a more balanced, healthier, and prosperous society for the long term. And I think for many female leaders, remembering that helps. It makes it more purposeful. It's not just about my advancement, but when I remove some of these systemic barriers, when I'm bold as a female leader, I am paving a way for not just other women, but I'm paving a way for our children and for a better society in the future. Elisa, thank you for joining us on Podchats for Future CIO. Thank you, Alan. Thanks for having me. That was Elisa Malis, Managing Director and Vice President for Asia-Pacific for the Center for Creative Leadership, speaking on the topic of the She Economy Opportunities in Asia. You are listening to Podcast for Future CIO. As always, if you have a topic you'd like us to cover on this channel, simply email us at editors at society.com. We'd also like to invite you to sign up for our free weekly newsletter so you won't miss an episode of Podcasts for Future CIO. In the meantime, stay safe, have a great day, and see you on the next episode of Podchats for Future CIO. Bye for now.